Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to ITAM Antics, our monthly news podcast where we discuss the biggest ITAM stories from the last month. Um, we normally have Rich and AJ on this. AJ is otherwise engaged, so joining me is a kind of flying solo and this is Rich Gibbons. Hi everyone, great to be here. And uh, yeah, I think AJ might be like a, a spy or something, very much an international man of mystery. <laughs> so I'm sure he'll join us next time, but let's let's crack on with the main story. So we've we've got a few stories this month. It is February, it's a little bit quieter, but I think we we're hitting all the, the main events. But before I get on to the news, um just to recap on some of the events coming up very, very imminently. Um, is Wisdom North America 2024. So Tuesday, uh, March the 19th and Wednesday, March 20th at University of South Florida, St. Petersburg campus. So so I would have thought by next ITAM Antics, this would have happened. So I'll be picking your brains, Rich, on, on how it went. Um, so usual things, huge range of presentations, workshops and interactive sessions, all delivered by our carefully chosen um industry professionals that we hand pick for their brilliant insights um then looking after that we'll have wisdom emir that is taking place at a new venue so don't don't turn up at the rugby ground don't don't go to twickenham this year that'll be us <laughs> we're at the drum in wembley park june 18th and 19th and also don't forget we also have our our training courses which will always take place the day before so that'll be on the monday the 17th um, I don't think the website's live for Wisdom Amir yet, but it will be pretty imminently. So just look out for that and grab your tickets when you can. So let's kick off. We've got four stories. The first one, we've got an audit one. Can't go a month without having an audit story. Yeah. So this one is Quest. So this was an article this, this month about another Quest audit ends up in court. We, we seem to write a few of these. Um, so this one was a Quest customer called Wageworks that I think they later became Health Equity. I think Health Equity bought them, I think. Um, so they got a $1.2 million non-compliance bill, even after following the steps provided by Quest. So it's one of these situations where they had an audit by Quest. They were found wanting Quest. They, they asked Quest what they need to do to make sure that they're in ship shape for next time. So they followed the advice that Quest gave them. And lo and behold, they were still landed with a, a non-compliance bill. So they were like, hang on, we did everything you asked. So the key issues here was about who can access the software and what access actually means, as well as which terms govern the contracts um, and what some of the words in those contracts actually mean. Very, you know, proper legal stuff, getting into the details of definitions. But um rich you wrote this piece it's quite it gets quite technical doesn't it when you you drill into it but broadly at the end of the day what what advice would you give quest customers that might be in a similar situation or or just more broadly anyone putting a contract together with with their with their publisher i mean there's quite a few different things and i would definitely say you know everyone you know 
read the article if you haven't for, for, for more details. This isn't the first case like this that we've covered, and I'm, I'm sure it won't be the last. Um, I think, you know, probably lesson number one, don't base your, your audit or your license compliance processes on what the, the vendor tells you. You know, it makes perfect sense that who who would know better than than the vendor? And I know when I first came into the world of ISAM many, many years ago, I quite quite naively used to think that. Um I was um yeah, you know, that was changed quite quickly. Um so yeah, you know, no matter what you're told by the vendor, you know, verify it with with third parties, um, you know, with, with your internal teams as well. Um, and then, yeah, with, with this one, it comes down to the, a relatively common thing of, you know, what does access mean? Uh, accessing the software to most people means being able to use the software. Lots of these vendors tend to mean if you can get to a, a, a server and you can see that the software is there, even if you can't log into it, they class that as access. So then you get into the, you know, you're signing the contract. It says access. Don't assume that you and they define words the same. And it sounds really pedantic and, you know, sort of stereotypically kind of, you know, lawyery to, to argue over the definition of, of one word in a, you know, 100 page contract. But time and time again, this is what we see um, tripping people up that, you know, even things like user, server, all these things, it, it's worth, if you can, it's worth defining them. Um, and, and then the other thing here is which terms govern. So, you know, you buy some software in 2001, it's got terms of use. You buy some more in 2007, 2010, 2012. There's always a sticking point as to, you know, does the first set of terms govern everything afterwards? Can they be changed? So, again, working with, with your legal team and the vendors and saying, right, this is how we see it. How do you see it? And trying to come to an agreement early on before there are any problems you know that that's ideal um but I, I think the contract side is, is sometimes neglected a, a little bit um you know often these things are done quite fast paced you know maybe quite late on in the quarter to get a good deal so the uh you know the con the contracts are uh, aren't possible you know maybe if you said actually i need six weeks to go through this contract that yeah. wouldn't be met with uh, enthusiasm internally uh, so yeah. i think i guess in their case because they would come off the back of a previous audit that new contract you know there might be a bit of pressure on on getting that contract put together quickly potentially yeah what happens yeah it, it's it's a difficult one uh but i i think ITAM and legal, you know, working together is always important because um, what I've seen before, you know, an ITAM person, you could read a contract, yep, all fine from an ITAM perspective, but maybe it isn't from a legal perspective. Whereas your your legal team, you know, they'll read it, yep, these clauses are all valid, they all make sense, 
but they don't know if it makes sense from an ITAP perspective as to how you're going to use that software. So having the two together, sharing information, you know, reviewing things together, da, 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 I think that's really important. Um, and I think it would head off a lot of these problems. But I'm always aware it's, you know, it's dead easy for me to say it on a podcast. Uh, it's a bit, bit harder to make it happen in real life. But I, I think wherever ITAM and legal teams can work together more closely, you know, good things will come from that. Good advice there. Good advice. All right. So our second story is uh, the the apt title. Please, Mr. Benioff, can I have my data back? Slack holds customer data to ransom, which is um, it's all. I think you picked this up on Twitter, didn't you, Rich? This is quite a funny. Yeah. Sorry, I mean X, but off X. It was a post on X, not a tweet on Twitter. So brief summary. Um, so it's kind of a, a vendor lock-in story, really. So this was a CEO was trying to leave Slack. So, well, a company was trying to leave Slack and the CEO put these tweets together because basically he he was left dumbfounded when Slack effectively threatened to delete all his company data that was on Slack because the tool that Slack themselves had provided to migrate the data to another platform kept failing. Um, so he's, you know, despite paying Slack millions of dollars over the years, the migration tool just didn't work. And so Slack's response to this was, and this was direct from customer services, I think, um, sign a new contract or your data automatically enters the deletion queue, which is pretty um, pretty direct, I'd say. Um, I mean, in, in this instance, because he put it all over all over X, it, um, it did have a happy ending for this particular company because um, Mark Benioff, obviously the, the CEO of Slack, personally got involved he saw the tweet got involved and got it sorted out but you know we don't all have direct access to ceos to, to sort these things out so it's um certainly a a cautious tale i'd say um particularly around data migration you know da getting data from any cloud provider um a lot of attention is paid to the onboarding you know signing up all very good checking the terms getting the you know there are plenty of good tools to get you onto them it's um when it comes to the other way other way around um rich any any advice here on on what item folk can do to protect themselves from the situation happening or if they're facing the situation yeah i mean it, it's it's a tricky one you know the the kind of the idea of, of vendor locking in the cloud and and data repatriation and things you know some people have been sounding the alarm for years ever, ever since cloud became a thing you know how do we get it back but you know generally people don't want to think about that you know you're you're moving to the cloud because it's it's positive for your business it's going to help you do x y and z everyone's very excited about it and i i think a lot of people probably look at it as you know on a first date, working out who's going to get the CD collection when you break up. Uh, you know, and I, I've aged myself by referencing CDs there, I'm aware. Um, so I think for a lot of people, it's not a, a focus up front. You know, it's uh, you don't want to think about the, the rainy day. So, yep, you check there's a, a provision in the contract. There is some kind of, uh, you know, data egress clause. Excellent. That's fine. Um, and also, you know, there's lots of pressure when you're signing the contract. 
you know, you've got time scales to, to get things moving. So again, as with the, the last case, you know, you, you probably would find it difficult to hold up that process to review the data egress situation. Um, but then, yeah, you find yourself in this situation where you come to it, obviously, you know, most companies, once you've told them that you're leaving, or, you know, you, you fall quite far down their list of priorities. Um, so they have this tool, it doesn't work. They're not going to go out of their way to, to help you. Um, unfortunate, but I don't think Slack and, you know, Slack are owned by Salesforce, so this this kind of makes a maybe this a wider scenario to consider. Uh, I don't think they're unusual in this regard. Um, so so yeah, it, it's kind of again from a contract perspective, you know, looking at, at what's what's in the contract, what can you add in in terms of right, you know, you say there's a tool. If this tool doesn't work then what happens and obviously mm. you can mitigate every circumstance but maybe putting something in that said you know we won't be asked to sign a new contract to, to get our data etc um i think that's important and and as much as you can you know trying to test the systems so before it gets to the point of wanting to leave you know, I would suggest, you know, maybe maybe six months in, once you've got some data in there, then kind of going through that process of, right, if we wanted to get our data out, what does it look like? How does it work? Because I've seen in the past as well, you know, some organizations, it will say, right, you've got 14 days to get your data out. But then yeah. when, you, when you start doing the process, it's, it's physically going to take 20 days to get your data out mm. now what happens and and that again you know comes down to a combination of, of contractual uh terms and testing in as as real world a scenario as you can um and it's it's a tricky one and i think it's one of those things that maybe everyone thinks is someone else's issue internally um but i think for itam you know raising this as part of the the process you know making sure that it's covered uh because I, I think you know more and more we, we're seeing itam in many organizations you know taking on a, a kind of data role as well you know not being responsible just for the software but also the data that it's created um and, and this would fall under that so i think for for ITAM, yes, yeah, certainly raising it, getting it on the table, and um, and doing that due diligence at least it is a great thing for us all to do. Mm. And just let me just highlight that point, isn't it? That there's there is no incentive for them to, well, there's, there's no there's no reason why it would be a priority for them to to do this. So maybe it's uh, maybe there could be third parties out there that could help. Well, we may have to rely on third parties to to do it, but yeah, raises the whole question of is it your data anymore? Once it's once it's in there, it should be, but if you can't put it where you want, it's not, is it? So yeah, I mean, I guess you know, a kind of physical analogy is you know, if you 
it's kind of if you put some of your stuff in storage, you know, it's still your stuff. Mm. But if they change the lock and won't yeah. give you a new key, then <laughs> yeah, it's still your stuff, but you can't get it. And you can't test this until you put your data on there. No, no, that that's I think possibly the the biggest problem. And you know, with Azure, Amazon AWS, Google Cloud, very much the case that you you can't really know until until you're in there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, ideally it would be saying, right, you know, we'll we'll get into the clouds slowly, and then we'll do a test. Can we get our data back? What does it look like? How long does it take? And only when that is ticked will we proceed. Um, and potentially, you know, in the, the pre-signing proof of concept phase, maybe that's where organizations can work with Salesforce, Microsoft, Amazon, and say, look, you know, before we sign, for, you know, $100 million or whatever it might be, I know no one wants to talk about it, but show me, you know, what it looks like at the other end. How do we get out of this? Um, and I, and I guess yeah, I think that should be part of a uh, a proof of concepts. But again, I imagine the vendors it's probably not their favourite piece to cover, um, and it maybe there's a risk of you know, souring the relationship. If, if you're already asking about how do we leave before you've signed. Mm. It's a classic prenup situation, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It, it's it's something that will only get bigger. And I, I think, you know, we will see, unfortunately, some organisations suffer, uh, you know, a, an issue in this area. Um, but hopefully, you know, people can try and mitigate that as much as possible. Okay. All right, let's let's move on to the, the next story. So I think one of the biggest stories last year in the in the ITAM SAM sector anyway was Flexair announcing that it was going to acquire snow. And so on the 15th of February this year, that that actually happened. So that the acquisition closed. Um so there was a, a brief announcement just to a the kind of accompany that, which was fairly brief. Um so most, I mean, the main message really was Flexera stressed that it is business as usual. Um, it will continue to innovate, enhance, maintain, and support both Flexera and Snow solutions. Um, they also mentioned that obviously Flexera and Snow share harmonious company cultures, missions, and long-term strategies. Together, we will continue to deliver market-leading solutions that address optimizing spend in a world of inflating costs, minimizing risks, despite increasing threats and new regulations. And navigating ongoing uncertainty. I mean, we've we've talked about this a number of times um, on this when you know when it was first announced. It was still very much kind of speculation as to um, what the new company will look like going forward. Um, I had a, a a briefing with with Becky Trevino from Snow last week. I can share a few a few thoughts from that, Rich, and then maybe get your get your feedback on that. I think it's probably. Way to look at this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I couldn't make the briefing, so it'd be uh, yeah, be be great to do that. So, I mean, there's probably three main takeaways that I took from that. So, firstly, there you know there was a lot of kind of stressing that this is a very kind. Of, I got I got the impression this is very carefully, softly, softly 
integration you know they're not jumping in doing any any crazy things um you know they mentioned the thing that they got like a communications commitment that any changes that will be made will be communicated with at least 90 days notice um they're still working things out from a kind of integration point of view and technology standpoint so we shouldn't expect any um any firm details on on the roadmap until kind of q2 this year so it's not too long to wait but you know they've pointed back to some of their previous acquisitions flex there was previous acquisitions and how they kind of integrated those well um made the most of the technology technology that they've that they've acquired so very much reiterating that this will be the same same situation um and what one other point they kind of very keen to stress kind of their goal is to be the leaders in in the hybrid space so you know becky talked about how we've kind of reached that point now where you know on-prem is kind of down to about 50 percent of 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 it spend but it's not going to go away and the point being that on-prem and cloud and and SaaS, you know this hybrid is the way that that is the way it's going to go so they very much want to position themselves as as the players that can you know the, the one-stop shop for that whole hybrid situation so the convergence of itam finops they're the they're the players in the middle so that's kind of putting a bit more flesh on there i guess the reasons behind the acquisition um i don't know how that's that stands with you rich this kind of kind of the the hybrid approach and does that, that stack up with you and yeah think? yeah i mean i think you know hybrids absolutely is the way that almost all companies are, are gonna go you know i think even companies that claim to be 100 percent cloud i bet it turns out that there's something in there that's on-prem um and you know no organization i don't think will will remain 100 percent on-prem um, partly because there are benefits of moving to the cloud, partly because it's becoming harder and harder to buy, you know, on-prem licenses. Um, so, you know, most people will end up in the middle, best of both worlds. Uh, and I think, you know, organizations are still learning what should be in the cloud, what shouldn't. That's why we're starting to see some people bring things back from the cloud because they, you know, they put things in there and it turns out they're not quite right. And that isn't a, you know, it's not a diss on cloud. It, it just means that not everything works in cloud, which makes sense. Um, so, yeah, hybrid, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I found out that IBM mainframes, you know, are, are still in yeah. existence uh, yeah. across industries. And, and I know a couple of years ago, I think, you know, sales went up as well and you know i would have said you know 10 years ago i would have said oh yeah there was probably one left um so i i think you know if mainframes are still so important to, to it then all the on-prem stuff that came afterwards isn't going to disappear anytime soon um so so absolutely yeah you know hybrids i think on-prem SaaS, cloud um it makes sense and it's where you know most of the most of the tool providers are in in one way or another um so snow and flex are uh, 
coming you know coming together to to bolster each of the sort of propositions in 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 that area makes a lot of sense and and I think you know we'll um we'll pan out well for for them I'm sure um you know and I think for customers as with everything you know for, for some customers this will be you know a, a huge boost for other customers you know may may not be as um as keen on it for various reasons um but i i think it's it makes sense you know to to come together and focus on hybrid for sure mm. so we'll look out q2 then for further updates on this see how, see what happens yeah yeah so so is that q2 calendar q2 calendar q2 yeah Oh, cool. So, so yeah, so six weeks until technically we're in Q2. Yeah. So, won't be long. All right. Well, last last story is um, we've got an AI one. You've got to get an AI story in. <laughs> good. It's always good. And this was quite quite a funny one. So, um, but as far as kind of, so something went wrong. The cost isn't that big, but the implications and the you know what it suggests is is. It's pretty big. So this is um, Air Canada and it's misguided AI um, chatbot, you know, trying to be helpful, but it got it wrong. So um, so Air Canada recently learned that AI chatbots cannot always be trusted. So their chatbot was found to have given inaccurate information to a customer, which contradicted its own policies and cost the airline a whopping $800, $800. So let me fill you in. So basically... Um, the chatbot inaccurately stated to the customer, Mr. Moffitt, that he was due a refund for his ticket under the airline's bereavement fares policy, where they offer reduced fares um, for um, if you're traveling for a bereavement. Um, the chatbot stated that he had 90 days from booking his ticket to claim a refund for the reduced rate. Yet when he came, came to actually claim his refund, um, through customer services, he was unsuccessful. They denied the refund because bereavement policy does not apply to requests after travel has been completed, which is the opposite to what the chatbot has said. And so it comes down to that he was facing two mis two contradictory pieces of information, but they were both from Air Canada sources. One was a, a static website, the other was the chatbot. So there were a number of points came up here in the case um, that it should be obvious to Air Canada that it is, so this is in the judgment, I should say. So it should be obvious to Air Canada that it is responsible for all the information on its website. It makes no difference whether the information comes from a static page or a chat bot. Um, Air Canada does not explain why the web, web page titled Bereavement Travel was inherently more trustworthy than its chat bot. Um, as many things like that, it ultimately comes down to you know, the chatbot's taking information from your website, but it's obviously in its in its algorithm, it's in in interpreting it, it's it's giving out the wrong information. So obviously this raises questions for using AI in anything or chatbots in anything, chatbots specifically. Um this idea of being able to ask questions and it should and it should be able to scour all the written information out there and give you the, the condensed accurate answer. It's not always the case. So, what do you think, Rich? What is what is this? Uh, is this a cautionary tale? What we should be wary of? 
Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of AI and I, I use it as much as I can. Um, but as with everything, you know, I, I'm always a little bit reluctant to, to, to go too gung-ho on, on these new technologies. And I think this shows why, you know, this is a relatively simple request. You know, the chatbot should be able to go to that page read the writing and regurgitate it. It doesn't really need to do anything more than that. No. But it, it's managed to either, you know, kind of hallucinate, which is the you know the the cool term to use for, for AI mistakes. Um it's either hallucinated a completely new bit of information or it's pulled it from somewhere else and, and misinterpreted it or or who knows. Um and as you say, you know, eight hundred dollars, I'm sure a Canada you know, will be fine. But there's lots of talk about in the world of ITAM, you could use AI and chatbots for all kinds of things, such as interpreting contracts or, you know, you're about to buy a product. It's got all these complicated terms. Let's use this AI chatbot to to read the terms and tell me what I need to to watch out for. What are the criteria? What are the rules? Or, you know, internally, you know, you've got your, your SAM tool and you say to it, right, you know, how many Oracle databases have I got in the APAC region that are coming up for support in the next six months or, or whatever it might be? And it gives you the information, brilliant. You, you base a renewal or something off that. And that, you know, in theory is fantastic. But if you can't trust what the chatbot is telling you, then you either end up having to do all the work yourself anyway to verify, or if you if you do take it at its word, further down the line, you know, it turns out you only renewed a hundred instead of three hundred, or you you didn't abide by this rule because the chatbot didn't tell you. You know who is at fault? What are the? How do you fix it? And you know the the numbers will be almost certainly bigger than eight hundred dollars. Mm. And and it it just becomes a yeah. At what point do you trust the information that you're getting? You know it maybe this is down to you know the 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 chatbot the way it, it was written or the way that the data was laid out. You know we can't know from from the outside but i i think you know not to be a, a kind of you know a, a naysayer but i think for anyone who's looking at how do we use ai within itam within procurement finops security whatever it may be these kind of of cases you know it it, it shows that these problems can happen they're not just theoretical and yeah, it, it's definitely something to consider if you're someone thinking of offering such a tool. Mm. You know, what does this mean? You know, because if if you if you have to say basically, you know, any errors are nothing to do with us to cover yourself legally, then you know, does that reduce the? the potential benefit of your tool 
if you're someone who's thinking of relying on this kind of tool or, or building something internally, you know, you need to have really strong processes, I think, around data and verification and, and how you handle any fallout. And it definitely feels like an emerging area of opportunity and challenge and risk. And, you know, there will, there will be new businesses built in this area, I'm sure. Um, but for me, yeah, when I, when I saw this, it, it made, I, I could quite quickly see the the parallels to, to what what could happen in ITAM. Yeah. And I guess, I guess it, it, okay, you raised a point, we don't know what the chatbot was. You know, it could have been, you know, an off-the-shelf SaaS thing that you just plug into your website, a little website plug-in that, you know, is just reading text. And that's very different to, say, something that's that's specifically designed to analyze a very specific database. You know, so uh, the SAM tools that are looking at AI, you know, some of them, some of them have um, Snow with Snow Copilot launched last, last year and Tori with Ask Tori, you know, both similar propositions from the sound of things where you you ask with a natural language these questions and you and interrogates your database. You'd hope that they're tested to the point where, you know, they're limited to that data set and they understand that data set. But yeah, it's, I say it comes out of the quality of the data that you put in as well. So lots, lots to think about there. Yeah, and and I you know I I don't know how you know that it's wrong until no until yeah until it is yeah okay all right well that's um that's all of the the stories we wanted to go through this this month there are a number of other articles that we that we've put up that I just didn't didn't go through on the on the podcast we did a um an item predictions article and we had a discussion on this last on the last podcast but um we've done an article with insights from the industry um so they've given their their views so i thought rather than us going over our views again i'd direct you to the itam review website to to read that one um also got an article from um abic child chowdhury from open m open lm on licensed dongle management um forgotten but not lost something that's still very much in use in certain certain quarters um and then we also have a great podcast conversation with with mihai chapala who was the winner of the rising star award at the excellence awards last year um so he's a software asset management specialist at vodafone vodafone intelligence Solutions specifically um great conversation um it was a kind of joint conversation with me and jen from the itam forum so check that one out um if you haven't already um rich is there anything else that you've got coming up that you want to mention i know obviously next podcast will probably be you'll probably be, be a bit jet lagged off the back of wisdom and wisdom north america um anything else you want to you want to shout about um, I mean, the the main thing so you know as you said we've got the uh i'm doing the microsoft training day on, on the monday of that week uh, we've got the conference Tuesday and Wednesday, and we're running our uh, the ISO training on Thursday and Friday as well. So, you know, if, if you want to, you can come and spend uh, an entire 
a week with us in Florida, or you can pick and choose which bits work for you. Um, really excited about it. We've got some great speakers uh, from, from around the industry covering all kinds of topics. We've got AI, cloud, SaaS, FinOps, all sorts going on, um, audit discussions, roundtable sessions. So yeah, if you're if you're in North America and you're you're listening to this and it's before the, the conference, uh, yeah, you know, come along. Um drop me a line if you've got any questions, what's involved, how do you book, etc. Uh, but really looking forward to that. And then yeah, so you know, once we come back from that, we'll we'll turn our attention to to Wisdom and Mia, which is we're already starting to build the agenda for that. Um and and yeah, you know, and we're we're building our digital calendar as well. So we we'll be announcing some webinars, some some new Lisa courses. Very busy times here at the moment, um, but in a in a fantastically good way. So um so yeah, yeah, um, you will see me whether in person or online very, very soon, no doubt. Fantastic. All right, thanks everyone. See you next time. Cheers, bye.